As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Everybody, what's up? Welcome into this quick episode of the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast on this Sunday evening. DVR's trying to show off some sort of shirt. I can't really tell what it is, but uh, is it a Packers thing? Is that a Packers thing, DVR? It's the Packers Tecmo helmet. Look, I'm not taking the shirt off just because they look like the worst team in the league in week one. I'm standing by my team. There you go. Got to do that. It's a cool shirt, actually, now that I know what it is. But uh, yeah, they did not look good in that absolute beat. Oh, yeah. Now I can see the G. Can see that good. Uh, yeah, Saints 38-3 to as we uh, part of the late window here just wrapping up. And so thanks for joining us. We're going to take a quick look ahead to week two waivers. We'll have a fuller look at this tomorrow, but... Let's jump in right now because uh, we know some guys are going to be very popular on the waiver wire this coming week, DVR. Let's start with Mark Ingram, one of the more surprising results of the day uh, today. The Houston Texans go out and just put a whooping on the Jacksonville Jaguars. Ingram ends up getting 26 carries for 85 yards and a touchdown. So that is obviously very good production, good bottom line production, and it looks attractive, but it's important to note that the Texans were in control of this game from start to finish, and that's what helped Mark Ingram rack up all those carries. Even though they won this game, got to imagine they're not going to be in control of too many games the rest of the season. So I could see going after him. I don't necessarily think he's a priority add. Yeah, I mean, I'm interested because if the game script is favorable, or at least in the first half of games, he might get a two or three to one carry edge over Philip Lindsay. That's not what I expected coming into the season. I thought Houston was a legitimate threat to not win a game this season. <laughs> I think I said as much on the Friday episode of this show. Uh, nice that they proved me wrong just three hours into the first Sunday of week one. So kudos to them on the W. Uh, but look, Ingram, are you smashing the fab piggy bank? Not necessarily. I think he's kind of a a flex play most weeks because if the game script goes the other way, I think we see a little more Philip Lindsay than we mm -hmm. saw in this one. 
Yeah, interesting to note that he did get the 26 carries. Philip Lindsay got eight. David Johnson just three. And how about that, DVR? Making fun of this backfield all summer long. We spend the entire summer making fun of how terrible this backfield is. Mark Ingram, Philip Lindsay, and David Johnson all get in the end zone in week one. That is fantasy football in a nutshell for you. Uh, yes, nope, smash the piggy bank situation. Definitely someone to put on your list and maybe make a claim for him. But uh, this is a unique situation that the Texans found themselves in in week one when we don't expect them to be in too often the rest of the season. I don't think it's going to be a unique situation for the Arizona Cardinals to put on offensive shows the way that they did in their win over the Titans. Kyler Murray throws for four touchdown run for one, and two of those touchdowns he threw go to Christian Kirk. Christian Kirk got five targets, caught all five of them for 70 yards and those two touchdowns. Rondale Moore had a big role in the offense. Obviously, DeAndre Hopkins did his thing. He had the other two touchdowns from Kyler Murray, but it seemed as though Kirk had enough of a role in what could be a very explosive offense that makes him more attractive today at DVR than he was just a week ago when we were still drafting fantasy teams. Well, I think when I look at the distribution of targets, DeAndre Hopkins is always going to be first in the pecking order, but Kirk versus Rondell Moore versus A.J. Green, that could be an ongoing battle for who ends up second in value in any given week. And you know, we'll see how much they get the backs involved in the passing game. We did see Chase Edmonds also pick up four targets in this game. So I kind of look at Kirk as a guy that has a ceiling of a wide receiver three so long as the yeah. rest of the receiving core is healthy. But if any one of those guys go down, there's a significant uptick in targets for the others. So I do think there's reason to pick up Kirk in leagues where he's available. There's a good chance he's better than the worst receiver on your roster in most leagues. Yeah, I think that you know he fell off the draft radar toward the end of the summer because everyone, understandably, got as excited about Rondale Moore as we did. And Moore had himself a very nice game. Also, five targets, caught four for 68 yards. They clearly wanted to get him involved, wanted to get the ball in his hands in space, and they did that, and he did very well with those opportunities. But I think what this tells us in week one is that this is still going to be, as you said, beyond behind DeAndre Hopkins, a committee approach with whoever the wide receiver two, three are. And those guys can step up and change week by week. So you just like being invested in the Arizona offense, as we saw in week one. And Christian Kirk, a way that you can still do that and find some value uh, for sure. So Christian Kirk going to be someone who is on our waiver radar as well. And I think DVR, like... If I am not necessarily looking for one specific position, I think in a vacuum, I'm going for Christian Kirk over Mark Ingram. How about you? I think there's probably a little more week-to-week consistency there. I mean, need obviously would dictate priority. I think they'd be pretty comparable in terms of the percentage of the fab budget that I'm willing to use. I think we're more in the, the 10 to 12% range at the higher end if you're going to be aggressive with either one of these players. Uh, yeah. But I would say they're somewhat comparable. Yeah, I'm not going to be that aggressive on either of these guys. There's so many more waivers, uh, weeks to run. And, you know, I don't think either of those guys are going to be uh, week in, week out starters, even in the best case scenarios for them. The realistic best case scenarios, I don't think make either of these guys consistent starters. Depth guys, bench guys, sure. Better situations than we thought they were back at the end of draft season, but still not elevating to the extent that you're going to want to get them and start them right away in week two. Uh, let's talk about Elijah Mitchell for a second here. The 49ers uh, surprised us before kickoff, even making Trey Sermon inactive. And so everyone, myself very, very much included, was like, all right, Raheem Mostert day, let's have a big one. Mostert actually had 20 yards on his first two carries also got injured on one of those carries and didn't play the rest of the game. It is a knee injury, so we'll be watching that closely. Elijah Mitchell, meanwhile, steps in and has a big game, 19 carries for 104 yards and a touchdown. This is one that I think 
it's going to depend on what we hear from Mostert. And hopefully we have a little bit more news on Mostert by the time you're really having to make those waiver bids on Tuesday. But if he's out, you know, Trey Sermon obviously is still in this mix. Like, Trey Sermon could just be active next week. And then Elijah Mitchell goes back to being in this backup role. So how do you approach that in a world where, let's say Raheem Mostert's out for a month. Let's just say he is out. So Elijah Mitchell could be a backup, but you still have Trey Sermon there. How do you approach that uh, in your fab bidding? I think you still put a, a keep them honest kind of two to four percent bid in on Mitchell. I mean, like nineteen carries is a lot, mm-hmm. and they could have split the workload up. They could have gave Jamichael Hasty a little. He got a short TD, and that was all he got. Yep. Um, I, I think everyone has this sort of irrational fear of Kyle Shanahan's <laughs> usage because he's a Shanahan. I would say keep an eye on one thing when we get a better read on. Uh, special team snaps, sometimes that has a lot to do with how the game day roster is actually comprised. Trey Sermon may have been inactive because they needed other guys in the roster that have other functions. So Mm -hmm. I wouldn't necessarily bury Sermon because he wasn't active in week one. I think you want to really read closely into how exactly they were managing the roster. And I would assume something closer to a split without Mostert, right? Mitchell could lead a committee, but I have to think Sermon has some kind of role in week two. Yeah, I think Sermon will have the the role we expected for Mostert. And I think it's very easy to assume that had Mostert not gotten hurt, we're talking about uh, that 19-carry, 104-yard and touchdown game belonging to him. And so I think that Sermon then probably steps into that role in a world where Raheem Mostert's going to miss time. For what it's worth, he was on the sideline. He was still in pads for the rest of the game. So it didn't seem like it was that serious of a knee injury. So I agree with you. If we don't have any sort of information, a keep him honest bid. But again, this is not someone who we're going to go smash the piggy bank for. And you see that 104-yard and touchdown line, and you think that that automatically is someone who you would. But circumstances dictated that more so than anything. And you take you yeah, give credit to Mitchell for taking advantage of the opportunity that he had. But this does feel like a situation where he could very quickly go back to being the third or fourth guy on this depth chart. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, DVR, a handful more guys I want to talk about before we wrap up this quick episode of the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast. Uh, really unfortunate in Denver, Jerry Judy seemed to leave with a uh, what looked like a serious injury. Early word is uh, it's a high ankle sprain for Jerry Judy. He was having a great game to that point. Seven targets, caught six of them for 72 yards. If he does end up missing time, We would think more targets for K.J. Hamler, who dropped what would have been something like a 50-yard touchdown pass in this game. And we would also think Tim Patrick would step more into Jerry Judy's role. So how do you look at Hamler and Patrick in a world where Judy is missing significant time, which unfortunately seems like will be the case? Right. Even a high ankle sprain would probably knock him out for a month plus. So we're looking at a pretty extended stretch without him. I'm tempering my interest in Patrick outside of really deep leagues, like 16-plus team leagues. I think Hamler is the slightly more interesting add. I think most weeks, this is a Broncos team that's not going to air it out by design. Next week's matchup is against Jacksonville. They should be in control of that game. It should be a lot of Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon on the ground. So even though Judy's out, I think you're going to see a bump up in targets for Noah Fant. I think you're going to see a bump up in targets for... Uh, uh, Cortland Sutton, Sutton, who was really quiet. Yeah, like that was a like three targets for him this week. Like that's probably going to change. So 
I, I don't see enough there to make Hamler and Patrick immediately shallow league relevant. Of the two, I like Hamler just a little bit more. Yeah, you know, what I like about Patrick is that he steps into that Judy role, right? He's going to be the one who's playing outside. They're not going to bump Hamler outside. So it'll be Patrick who plays that role. And so if that role in the offense remains what, you know, we would would expect to see from Judy, but just with a lesser player playing it, I do think there's some value there. So, and Patrick ended up having uh, four grabs, 39 yards, and a touchdown in this game. So I'm a little bit more interested in Patrick than you are. I think there's a little bit more value to him. I think he can find some in non-super deep leagues. Uh, But again, this is a situation where we're really picking these guys up as depth players, as guys who uh, we could turn to in case of injury, in case of buy, if Judy is indeed out that long. But otherwise, again, this is not a situation where we're seeing someone step into a major starting fantasy role that's just not what we have on our hands here. And uh, hopefully uh, the high ankle sprain is indeed what it is. And we're talking about a four to six week absence for Jerry Judy rather than a remainder of the season absence for Jerry Judy. How about Zach Pascal, a guy who always seems to uh, enter our fantasy lives at some point, And he does it right off the bat in week one. Colts lose to the Seahawks, but Judy or uh, Pascal, excuse me, has himself a nice game. Five targets caught four of them, 43 yards and two touchdowns. And interestingly, I uh, was really the number two receiver. It was him and Michael Pittman. And they were really the only guys in, in the passing game, uh, at least out wide, that mattered for Indy. We know T.Y. Hilton was out. Paris Campbell, really not much of a factor in this one. So I think Zach Pascal has that same utility we expect of him. He just has it right away rather than us having to wait for it this year. Yeah, I mean, I think he kind of fits into the, the Patrick Hamler sort of tier for mm-hmm. sure. Only five targets on a day where the Colts were down 11 at halftime. I mean, Jonathan Taylor and Naheem Hines combined had 15. I don't know what the Colts are doing with this system right now, but it's a little bit of a concern. I I think I'd still prefer, you know, Michael Pittman Jr. to Pascal, but I think he's rosterable in some of these deeper leagues that we're discussing. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's really what we're looking at here is that there's just not a lot of guys who are jumping out at us just yet this week. Like, we don't have that uh, two years ago when it was uh, Philip Lindsay and Tyler Boyd who just, like, announced themselves right away in week one as going to be these fantasy impact players. We have guys who are worth chasing on waivers, but we don't have anyone who is worth going crazy over uh, thus far. Maybe we get something different out of Bears-Rams. Maybe we get something different out of Raiders and Ravens, but we just don't have that sort of guy. So we're talking low bids for all of these guys so far Pascal definitely fits into that group and I'm with like I, I think I would rather have Patrick to be honest like I, I just don't really know what's going on with Indy's offense and like you know Seattle that defense is it's not going to be a good defense it wasn't last year they shaped up in the second half of last season but it, it feels like one where playing at home with Carson Wentz there should have been a little bit more fluidity to what this team did through the air if it was going to be an offense in which we wanted to invest in any serious way. So the fact that we didn't see that off the bat, you know, obviously Wentz missed a lot of time this summer, but I still think that this is going to be a low-value passing game where you like Michael Pittman and these other guys just sort of mix in and Pascal pops up with a two-touchdown game and Paris Campbell maybe does that, but they're going to be at random times where you're really not going to be able to be comfortably invested in any of these guys. The last guy we're going to talk about here maybe is the one who could be a consistent starter. It's largely because of the position that he plays. And uh, Steve, who's watching us on YouTube right now, uh, anticipating where we're going. Drop Mike Kosicki for Jawan Johnson. Well, Steve, that is exactly who we want to talk about here. Jawan Johnson. Now, he made the most of the, the three targets he had. He caught two of them, and both of those catches 
turned into touchdowns. So you, you do like to see him get into the end zone like that. But uh, like this is still would be a tight end scarcity play more than anything, DVR. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we play in a two tight end league together. In a league like that, anybody with a pulse, anybody getting looks in the red zone is worth thinking about. So Juwan Johnson is on the radar, at least in those kinds of leagues. He's more of a watch list guy than uh, someone who I'd immediately say is like a top 15 tight end. I think he'd have to have mm-hmm. that sort of label to even think about dropping someone like Gesicki. So if you were worried about Gesicki and you've got a, a backup running back who's not really playing right now and you want to take a shot on Juwan Johnson, I think you could probably do that because there are probably similar backup running backs on the wire that you could go pick up later. Uh, I'm curious to see if they use more two tight end personnel with the Saints offense, mm-hmm. given the state of that receiving core. I mean, this is also a day where with, with Jair Alexander out there, the Callaway explosion in week one did not happen the way people right. were hoping. So maybe that was part of the calculus here, too. It's a bizarre box score for the Saints, especially when you if you just see the score and you didn't watch any of the game and you see 38 to three, you know, you would maybe think that Alvin Kamara had a monster game and he had a very good game, but, you know, not a huge one. And you would think that there would be something in the stat line, but you've got Jameis going 14 to 20 for 148 yards and five touchdowns. You have no pass catcher catching more than three passes. You have Deontay Harris up at 72 yards receiving as the leader. And then the next guy is Jawan Johnson at 21, Adam Troutman at 18, Callaway at 14, Chris Hogan at 10 like it was a bizarre game with some short fields for the Saints because of a couple of interceptions from Aaron Rodgers just a really strange game and again sort of like we talked about with Mark Ingram it was a best case game script for Jawan Johnson and he came through on it and you have to give him credit for that but it's not really going to be something that's bankable in the future I don't think even with this good start to the season for him that he's someone who you want to be counting on as your starting tight end put him on the watch list Go make a claim for him if you have a Mike Kosicki or a Cole Komet and you're not feeling great about your starting tight end. But don't just assume that Jawan Johnson steps into that role for you. We're happy to step into a role, uh, fill in a little bit of the time in between the end of the late games and the start of the Sunday night game between the Bears and the Rams for you. We'll be doing this every Sunday. And of course... You can catch this as a regular traditional podcast as well. So thank you for uh, taking the time to be with us here this evening. The Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast returns on Monday. Me, Brandon Funston, Jake Seeley, taking a look back at everything that happened on Sunday and a fuller look ahead to Week 2 waivers. For DVR, I am Michael Beller. Thanks for joining us. Have a good rest of your night and enjoy Bears Rams.